All right. Well, welcome, everybody. My name's Aaron, and I'm glad that you are here. We're especially glad if you're visiting with us today. If this is your first time at Trailhead, welcome. We're so glad to see you. We are continuing today a series on I Am Jesus. Several times throughout the Gospel of John, a biography of Jesus' life, several times Jesus says, I am something, a, a name, a word, some kind of an image that describes him. And so we've been looking through these different images that Jesus gives of himself, and we've been asking ourselves, what does this say about him? And in learning these things about him, what does that tell us about us? Today we're going to look at one of the more famous statements that Jesus made when he said, I am the good shepherd. We're going to find that in the book of John chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, I'd ask you to, to turn there with us. If you don't have a Bible with you, you could probably find one uh, in the underneath the seat in front of you. There should be a hardback Bible there. If you don't own a Bible, that Bible is our gift to you. We would love for you to take it home, to read it, to go through, to examine for yourself these different things. Don't take my word for any of this. See if it's in there. See what it all says. See how it all fits together. So that is our gift to you. Uh, if you're in that Bible, we're going to be on page 896. And let's see what Jesus says. We're going to start in John chapter 10, verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. The word of the Lord. So, like I said, this is one of the more famous things Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Last week we looked at where Jesus said, I am the door. That's a little more obscure, a little bit strange, but I am the good shepherd. We've heard that one before. If you've ever been in church, uh, you've probably heard that before. In fact, if you grew up in church like I did, you may have even seen something like this. Have you ever seen this picture or something similar to this? Jesus as the good shepherd. He looks so sweet. He looks so gentle. He's just petting that little lamb there. He just looks so happy, and he's got that nice part going. And then, oh, it's so pretty. There's just one problem with this kind of a picture of Jesus as the good shepherd. And the problem is this. In the first century, when Jesus was speaking, and the group he was speaking to, because he was speaking predominantly uh, to a, a Jewish audience, they did not view shepherds like this. Not at all. To them, a shepherd was not a good guy. In fact, to them, a shepherd was almost a criminal. See, shepherds were transient. They had to move all around with their flocks. They would find pasture wherever they could, which oftentimes, or, or sometimes at least, meant that their flocks would go and graze on other people's land. So they were considered to be thieves in many ways. You could not trust a shepherd. In fact, shepherds were so looked down upon that their testimony was not even admitted in a court of law. So we look at, at the good shepherd and we picture this, but that's not the picture. So instead, if we want to get an accurate picture of what Jesus is trying to say when he calls himself the good shepherd, we need to think 
Okay, so what would it look like in my mind? Somebody who's considered a criminal, somebody, somebody who we don't trust, somebody who honestly, if they were to go and testify in court, nobody would even believe what they're saying. Are you starting to get a picture in your mind of what that might look like? That's what Jesus is describing. That's the, the image that would have come into the minds of Jesus' audience here. So why would Jesus use that image to describe himself? And especially, as we're going to see in talking about his love, why would Jesus use the imagery of someone so low class, of someone so rough, of someone so socially unacceptable? What's he going for here? I believe a part of it, a part of it, is because what Jesus wants us to understand here is that love, the way Jesus is talking about love, love is not this kind of idealized happy feeling. Love is not just sitting around, I love you, and it's all sweet and good. Love, the way Jesus is talking about it, is urgent. It's urgent, and it's rough, and it's difficult. And as we're going to see, it's sacrificial. Four times in this passage, Jesus points out that his love, his love is so strong and so different from this sweet, gentle image of what we think of when we hear the word love. Four times he points out that his love is so strong that he will die for his sheep. Not, now listen, not just that he is willing to die, but that he will die. And there's a difference there. Because lots of people would say, I would die for you. I am willing to die for you. Jesus says he will die. Look at this with me. Look at verse 11. Jesus is talking and says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Skip down to verse 15. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life, for the sheep. Verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus' love is such that he dies for us. Not just that he would die for us, not just that he is willing to die for us. He died for us. So let me ask you a question. Who would you die for? Seriously. Who would you even be willing to die for? Maybe your spouse. Maybe your kids. Maybe, maybe you have a best friend, a, a sibling. Somebody that you're so close to, you love so much, you're so connected to, maybe you'd die for them. How about your worst enemy? How about somebody who hates you? Would you die for somebody who hates you? Because see, here's the thing. The scriptures make it very, very clear that that's what Jesus did. 
He did not die for someone who loved him. When Jesus died for the sheep, and the sheep he's talking about here, it's us. And when Jesus died for us, it wasn't because we love him. We didn't. And most of the time, we don't. But he died for us anyway. See, just like we have this this sort of wrong image of a shepherd, sometimes we have a wrong image of sheep too. Okay? See, we picture sheep like in that picture where they're all soft and cuddly and they're so woolly and fuzzy and and you love sheep. You would cuddle up with a sheep and go to sleep or something. I don't know what you would do with a sheep. But anyway, we, we think sheep are so sweet and gentle. But that's not the image Jesus was using. Again, when Jesus was talking about shepherds and sheep, there was an image, especially to a Jewish audience, there's an image that would come to their minds. See, 700 years before Jesus spoke, there was a prophet, a man who came and spoke to the Jewish people. His name was Isaiah. And he spoke about a time that would come far in the future. And they were all waiting for this time to come when a Savior, a Messiah, someone to rescue them would come. And he described this Messiah, this Savior coming to save the nation. But he said that the image was not pretty. Again, it was not a gentle image. Instead, this Savior would be someone who would be tortured, who would be rejected by his own people, who would even be killed. And he, Isaiah, also in talking about this, uses this same image of sheep. But I want to warn you, it is not a flattering image. So being called sheep in this context is not necessarily a good thing. I'd like you to look with me. At the book of Isaiah, it's in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53. You can turn there or we'll put this one up on the screen. In Isaiah 53, Isaiah says this, speaking about the Messiah, the Savior who was going to come, he said, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. This is strong imagery of someone being tortured and killed, and very, very, very clearly Isaiah is saying killed for our problems, for our wrongdoing. For our, he uses the word, transgressions. The things we did wrong led to this torture, this murder of this Savior. And look at verse 6. Here's the image. All we, just like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, on the Savior, on this Messiah, the iniquity of us all. Do you see this? This is what sheep do. They run off. They wander off. They go astray. They don't always follow. They don't always do what they're told or what they're asked. They reject the one who is trying to lead them and decide that they know better, and they go off, And in that, Jesus died for us. 
Think about this. Why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus die? Not just why did he come to earth, not just why did he teach, not what was his purpose in doing miracles, but why did he die? Now, there's been a lot of talk lately. Um, I don't know if you see this in the popular press and even in academic circles about why Jesus died, what led to his murder or his conviction or his execution. There was a lot going on socially and politically in the area where Jesus lived in the first century, especially in Jerusalem, which was an occupied territory. There were the Romans and all these different issues going on. And all those things are very interesting and they definitely are a part of the context and they can lead us to more fully understand the time in which Jesus lived. But here's what I want you to see today. According to Jesus, from his perspective, look why he died. Because it's very clear from Jesus' perspective that he chose to die for us. Look at verse 17, back in John chapter 10, verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. It couldn't be clearer. He says, I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Dying was Jesus' choice. He did not have to die. But he did. And he did it for us. For us. As Isaiah said, for our Sin. Because we destroyed the world that God created. Because God made a perfect world, and we, as humans with our sin, broke that perfection. And as the only way to repair that, and to repair that relationship, and even to, to come in and to spare us from the punishment that we deserve for that, Jesus chose, chose to die for us. Now that is love. I mean, that is true love. That is real love. There's no other way to describe it. He didn't have to do it but he chose to out of his love for us. That is a sacrificial love that would give his own life for us. It is is an undeserved love. We can't earn that. And he didn't die because we were good enough. He didn't look forward into the future and see that we would figure things out and love him back, so he decided to love for us, or to to die for us. He chose to die undeservedly, sacrificially, and unconditionally. So what do we do with that? With a love 
like that? How do we respond to the kind of love that says, I'm going to lay down my life for you, even though you hate me, even though you deserve this punishment, even though there's nothing you could ever do to make up for this or to earn this from me, I'm going to die for you anyway. How do I respond to that? And that's what I want to spend most of our time this morning looking at. Because I think Jesus says some things in here as he's talking about this that come through that if we truly understand and truly believe that he really loves us in that way, that powerfully, that should shape the way we live our lives. But first of all, but first of all, let me say this. I know that there are some people here who just that very idea is very difficult for you to grasp. The idea that somebody would love you in that sacrificial, undeserved and unconditional sort of a way, that doesn't quite add up. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. Why? Especially, I mean, a human doing that would be crazy enough. But why would the creator of the universe in human form love you in that way? In fact, I would even say this, if that doesn't trip you up in some way, maybe you're not understanding fully exactly what we're saying. I mean, this is not an easy thing. I mean, if you hear that, oh, Jesus died for my sins, that's nice, then maybe you're not fully catching what's going on here, okay? So if this trips you up, if this is difficult for you, if you're not sure if you really believe this, that's okay. You just Just keep wrestling with that. I encourage you, keep reading. Read more. Read the rest of what Jesus has to say here and read what the others in the New Testament say about him. Follow up. Have conversations. Ask us here at Trailhead. We'd love to talk with you about these things. But ask yourself, could this be real? Could a love like this really exist? We believe it does. Those of us here at Trailhead, we we believe that Jesus really does love us sacrificially, unconditionally, and undeservedly. And we would love for you to believe that too. But then as as we look forward in this, at what Jesus has to say, for, for those of us who do believe, I mean truly believe that he loves us in this way, there's a couple things that I think come through that should have a pretty heavy impact on us. The first is this. If you truly believe that Jesus loves you in the way he's describing here, loves you in a way that you can't earn, loves you in a way that you don't have to work for, loves you in a way that he would die for you, then I think it would make a lot of sense for us to listen to Jesus and not to the hired hands. Let me explain what I mean. Look at verse 12. When Jesus is talking, he says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Okay, so in our lives, there are a lot of people who would love to speak into our lives. There are a lot of voices that would like to get your attention. There are a lot of people who would love to give you advice, recommendations to steer you on a path in your life. Your coworker would love 
to give you advice on how to fix your broken marriage. Okay? Your roommate would love to sit down with you and help you plan out the path that your career should take. Your sister would be more than willing to let you know what you should do in your dating life. Okay? And that's just the people that we know. Let alone all the books, magazines, podcasts, television shows. I, I mean, people throwing things out there on, on Twitter and, and on Facebook. Everybody has an opinion that they would love to share with you. There are a multitude of voices and there's us. Like we, we probably give ourselves advice more often than anything else, right? We in our own minds think we have things figured out and think we know how our lives should go. But there's a problem. And the problem is not advice necessarily. I mean, advice by definition is not bad. In fact, in fact, God, God very often speaks to us through the counsel of wise, godly advisors. Very often, God will use other people to speak truth into our lives. And that's a good thing. We cannot take everything anyone says to us and reject it outright. But, but, when Jesus says here that he's the good shepherd and his sheep hear his voice and know his voice, we, if we truly believe that Jesus is our shepherd, we need to be able to discern our shepherd's voice above the other voices that would clamor for our attention. Do you understand what I'm saying here? What I'm saying is, Everyone wants to tell us how to live. But if they go against what our shepherd is telling us, they're leading us in the wrong direction. Okay? So, like, lots of people will give us advice about investments, what to do with our money. But Jesus speaks, and he says that what we should do with our finances is invest them in his kingdom. And very often that will go against the advice that others are giving us. And so we have to ask ourselves, who are we going to listen to when it comes to our money? Or maybe you're in a relationship and the relationship is broken or it's, it's strained or there's difficulty. And there are lots of voices that will speak into our lives and will tell us in that difficult relationship, we need to find what will make us happy. We need to find the best course for us. We need to think of ourselves because if we don't, no one else will. And here's how to be happy. And here's how to navigate those relationships to make us happier. And then Jesus speaks and he says something very different because what he says, Jesus says that no, in those relationships, we need to submit our desires to the desires of others out of love. Not so that we can get what we want eventually, but totally and purely out of love for them. Jesus says that we need to, and, and the language is harsh, but that we need to die to our own desires to put others ahead of us. And it feels very often like death to do that. But Jesus is the one saying it. And so then I've got this question, and the question I have to ask myself is, who am I going to listen to? Am I going to listen to these other voices who are all saying that they can lead me in the right direction? They can lead me, to use the metaphor, to the greener pastures? 
Or am I going to follow the voice of the one who says he is the good shepherd? And I don't like the way his path looks like it's going. Because if I follow him, I don't see any kind of payoff in the future. But which voice am I going to follow? If I truly believe, truly honestly believe that Jesus loves me, loves me so much he would die for me, loves me so much that he would sacrifice himself, then who should I trust? A bunch of other people who are just as broken as me? A bunch of other sheep? Or the good shepherd? A hired hand? Somebody somebody who, yes, wants to speak into my life, but probably has a hidden agenda. See, in Jesus' day, the hired hands, they weren't necessarily bad guys, but they didn't own the sheep. So their stake was much, much smaller. So they were watching the sheep, and they were getting paid a salary. But if things went really bad, they had no true reason, no true investment, no true purpose to stick with it in the difficult times. So if, for example, the way Jesus' example is if a wolf comes along and it's my life or the sheep's life, I'm not getting paid enough to stick around and wrestle with a wolf. I can go somewhere else and find a different flock that I can watch over that's kind of wolf-free. And so a lot of the people speaking into our lives, they're not in it for the long haul. And they don't have the perspective or the wisdom that our good shepherd has. So, again, if you truly believe that Jesus loves you, died for you, sacrificed himself for you undeservedly, then will you filter, not not listen to anyone else, but filter the other voices you hear through his voice? And what does that mean? What does that look like? How do you know? What Jesus is saying? Well, it starts, it starts very much with his revealed words to us, which are recorded in the pages of the Bible. See, the reason that, that at Trailhead we're always trying to tell you you should read your Bible, the reason I would love for you to take that hardback Bible and take it home and read it is not just because, like, it's really good. I mean, it's good, but there's a purpose. And the purpose is because you need to know what your shepherd says so that you hear his voice above the others. So that when you're in those situations and you're receiving that advice, that you know when it doesn't match up to what your shepherd would say. Are you with me on this? Like you can't filter Jesus' words through the mess unless you have read and studied and know what Jesus' words are. So that's why we ask you over and over again, read your Bible, read your Bible. Know what Jesus says. Because he's your shepherd and he loves you and he wants to speak into your life. So you've got to know what he's saying. The second thing I see in here that, that Jesus says not only should we listen to Jesus, 
instead of the hired hands. But we also, if we truly feel, if we truly understand this love that he's shown to us, then we should love the other sheep. Look at verse 16. He says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Let me explain the context again. Like we said, Jesus is talking to Jewish people. And the Jewish people, especially in the first century, were very proud of their culture. They had been through a lot, and they had been given promises by God that they were a special and a chosen people. So all very good things. Because of that, their view of other cultures was extremely low. Okay, Steve mentioned this a few weeks ago, that the Jewish people had a word for everyone who was not them. And the word was Gentiles, and we've heard that word before, but it actually just meant nations. And in other words, what they were saying was, there's us, and there's everybody else. And we are like no one else, because we are loved by God. And so what Jesus is saying here to his listeners, actually would have been pretty controversial, pretty radical, because he's saying that there are going to be people who will listen to his voice, who he will be the shepherd of, who are not from the Jewish nation. That Gentiles will come in, that they'll hear the message of his grace, that they will believe, And that they will join together and become one group. Not, look, look, look. He's not saying, so there will be Jewish believers and there will be Gentile believers and there'll be two different groups. He says, I'm going to bring them all together. This love, this undeserved, this sacrificial love is not just for you. But instead, I'm going to bring everybody together into one flock. Now, they might not have picked up on all that right there when he said it that way, but it's what happened. And if you read the book of Acts, because the book of Acts tells the story of what happened after Jesus died and rose again and left the earth. And then from that time on, his his followers spread the good news about Jesus throughout the world. And the Gentiles believed as well, as well as many Jewish people. And they came together and they started to form this group that we call the church, and it didn't go very well. They did not get along very well. Because the Jewish people looked at these Gentile people coming in and they're like, you're not following our laws and our traditions. And the Gentile people were coming in and they're like, we're excited about Jesus, but you guys are kind of jerks. And it was just this big thing that they just didn't trust each other for a long time. And they had to keep going back and keep going back and keep going back to what Jesus said, that his love was undeserved and unconditional. And it was only through that, only through understanding that, that those walls started to fall down and that they truly started to love each other. And they truly started to blend together into this one true unified flock following the same shepherd. Now, how does that apply to us today? I mean, look, we don't really talk a lot about Jews and Gentiles today. Um, We don't seem to have the same kind of issues with saying, you know, well, you're not following the laws of Moses. I mean, there's, there's some of that kind of stuff, but 
Does this apply to us today? This idea that different groups of people from different backgrounds sometimes don't trust each other? I mean, have you seen anything recently that involves different groups of people not getting along? Can you think of any examples? Maybe around this region of the country? Is that, no? Not really? There's a little town called Ferguson. Has anybody heard of Ferguson? No? Okay, that's, it's too obscure. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, there's a lot going on, isn't there? The exact same thing. Two groups of people, different backgrounds, different social situations, no trust. And nobody's listening to each other. They're all just waiting for their turn to talk, to say their part, to say what they want to say, to condemn the other side whether it's there on the ground in Ferguson, throwing things, firing shots physically, or it's even over here on this side of the river through Facebook and through Twitter, through the jokes, the slogans, firing shots that way. I think we all understand, or I hope we all understand that that what's going on right now in our area, it, look, it stopped being about Michael Brown and about Darren Wilson a long, long time ago, right? That's not what this is about. Instead, it's about two groups of people who each see each other as the problem. Who each think that they're doing things right and the other person or the other group of people is not. And so they've got to let it be known. And it's really just a situation where there has been tension for a long, long time that is surfacing now. And for some of us, for some of us, it's kind of shocking. Okay, so I grew up in America, right? And uh, I've lived here my whole life. And when I was in school, I, I learned about racism. And I knew that there used to be racism in America. But we fixed it in the 60s, and we're good now, right? Or at least that's, that's kind of what I thought. I mean, that's what I was told. And so from my safe, comfortable vantage point, to me, this is like what is going on. But to the people who live there, to the people who this is their life every single day, there's no surprise. This is not just something that happened all of a sudden back over the summer. This has been the story of their lives for generations. And so here we are at this point in time where things are exploding and we don't even know what to do. And we don't know how to talk about it. We don't even know how to think about it most of the time. So what we do, what I do, is I look in and I look at myself 
And I start thinking to myself, I would never do that. Or if that was me, I would do this. Or those people. And when I hear those words in my head, those people, that is the sound of me not understanding God's love. Because God's love is undeserved. And so the love that he offered to me and the hope that he offered to me is the same love and the same hope that he offers to others who seem different from me. And so whichever side of the spectrum you fall on, whether you're a protester or a police officer, we have to understand that God's love is the same for all of us. And that these deep, deep issues of hurt and injustice and pain and fear are real. They need to be discussed. They need to be brought into the light. They need to not be ignored or swept under the rug. But they need to be approached from a perspective of understanding that we are all loved equally. Equally sacrificially, equally unconditionally, equally undeservedly. That requires a love that can only come through God's grace. I cannot generate that kind of love on my own. I cannot be lectured into thinking I should have that kind of love for others. Left to myself, I will retreat to pride and judgment and condemnation. Left to yourself, you will retreat to pride and judgment and condemnation. Only through God's grace can I understand the kind of love that's needed to reach across the barriers, to reach across the lines of race, of social class, of legal status, of all those different things. Only through the love of Jesus Christ. Because understanding God's grace, understanding Jesus' love for us is the only thing that can change people. And so we can pass laws, we can protest, we can talk, but until people change, there will be no change in our city, in our nation, in our world. But God's love is the change that we need. And understanding God's love changes my heart. It changes my actions. It changes my thoughts. It changes my relationships. It changes See, that's a little different 
than the Jesus with the nice part in his hair petting a sheep. So when Jesus said he's the good shepherd, this, this is what he meant. He's talking about something very messy, something very difficult, something extreme, an extreme kind of a love. And I don't know where that lands with you today. We're going to take a few minutes for you to have a chance to reflect. I hope that if you truly are, are wrestling with and grasping this idea of Jesus' sacrificial love for you, that it will be more than just a few minutes of reflection and then you go on your way. I believe that if you have a true encounter with the grace and the love of Jesus Christ, that it changes you at a deep, deep heart level. And that would be my prayer today. So we're going to put up some questions for you to think about, to reflect on. But please, please don't let it stop at just reflection. Let this become a part of who you are. Let the love that God has shown to you through Jesus Christ change your life. I'll go through these questions, and then in a moment we'll have a time uh, of response, a time for you to, to pray, to think through these things. If you have any further questions, if you'd like to talk about this with us, or if there's something in your heart that you would like prayer for, or just that you would like to be able to discuss, please fill out the response card that was in your bulletin. In a moment, we'll share communion together. You can bring that card up. You can drop it into the box by the elements. You can give it to someone on your way out. You can stop by our connection point. But let us know what God's doing in your heart so that we can pray for you, so that we can pray with you, so that we can discuss things with you if that's what you would like. Let's think through these things together. First of all, do you believe that Jesus laid down his life for your transgressions? I mean, do you really believe this is true? And do you believe that he chose to do it, laid it down, not that he was murdered unjustly, but that he chose to die, and not just that he died for the whole world, but that he died personally for you, for your wrongdoing, for your transgressions? Do you believe that? If so, are there areas of your life where even though you believe that he died for you, you still don't trust him? And you're listening to others and trusting others instead? What would it look like? What would it look like in your life if you were listening to Jesus and following your shepherd instead of following the other voices? And then if you truly, truly believe and that kind of a love, how is it flowing out of you? How is it overflowing in your heart? Are you receiving that love and then just holding it in for yourself? Or are you letting it spill out to others because you understand that you don't deserve it, that you didn't earn it, and that it's just as much for everyone else as it is for you? As we take a moment, think through those things, pray. And in a moment, we'll share communion together.
Heavenly Father, God, we love you. But we love you because you first loved us. And God, please help us to remember, help us to understand, help us to be undone once again by the idea that you loved us when we were unlovable, when we did not deserve it. That we're dirt. And yet you died for us. God, fill us with that today in such a way that it changes us. That it's not just something we say or a song we sing, but that it's powerful words that sink into our hearts and transform our lives. In the name of your Holy Son, Jesus Christ.